Welcome to the Financially Independent Teachers Podcast, where educators come together to discuss their journey on the road to financial independence. Now, please join our co-host, Dave and Brandon, as they prepare to help other educators get fit with their finances. Welcome, and thank you for joining us on the Financially Independent Teachers Podcast. And as we mentioned most weeks, we are always looking to expand our guest list. If you think your story could help other educators and you'd be willing to come on the show, please shoot me an email at getfiteducator at gmail.com. And without further ado, I would like to bring on my fantabulous co-host, Coach Brandon Spees. Coach, You've been busy doing what I've been doing the last month, and you just moved this week. How's all that going? Well, you know, moving is moving. It's never fun. So, um, a matter of fact, my dad's coming over with his trailer to help me get the last load today. He might actually call in. We might get our first call in on the show. I'll, I'll ask him if he has any advice for teachers. Uh, he probably, uh, Knowing my father, he'll say, use some common sense and don't spend more than you make. Uh, you know, my, my, my dad is a very, a very common sense, no nonsense kind of guy when it comes to personal finances and was always good at it himself. I wish I would have learned from him, but you received a really cool compliment. Not, uh, uh, recently you have the perfect podcast voice. I heard I was number two, number two behind Chris Hogan, which is really funny because I'm like most of us, I hate to hear myself on a video or see myself and I've never thought that I had any sort of a good voice for presenting. It's but funny because yeah. I told you that from the beginning. I said, I told you, I said, man, you really sound natural doing this. Uh, you, you might go big time with this. You know, at some point you're going to have to, you know, cut me and, and move forward with this, man. Yeah. I mean, imagine if I get better than a uh, $19 um, microphone that I picked up on Amazon, maybe that'll make <laughs> us sound even better. But I do, I actually do want to address that. I'm glad you brought that up not because of the compliment, although that was cool. But I do want to apologize for all of our listeners. Uh, being in the transition of moving, uh, I've had to change my normal recording studio. Not that it's really a studio, but we have a lot of places in our house where my wife is letting me record that doesn't have any furniture. So I know there's kind of an echo. And if Coach Spies has that today, uh, he's pretty much out of furniture at his place. Uh, we do apologize for any sound issues and we'll try to get back on track here, hopefully in the next month or so. But today's show, Coach, uh, can you give us a little preview of what we're going to chat about today? I'm really, really excited about it. Uh, yeah, I was when you mentioned this, this was your idea. Um, and when, when you said it, I said, well, I'm an expert at this. The top 10 mistakes that teachers make when it comes to money. And I can, you know, we put our 10, 10 together. I can just about say that I've uh, fallen into all these camps. I've fallen into all these traps, uh, done, done all these, you know, all, all of our 10, I think. But um, yeah, the top 10 mistakes that teachers make, you know, just common mistakes. And of course, we didn't do any real research with these. We just sat down and we're, I think, just thinking about our own personal experiences, what we've heard, what we've seen, what have, has happened in our own lives. I think we have a pretty good list, coach. I really do. Yeah, I think so. And I just do want to say that this list is not in a specific order. I will say number 10 is strategically like 
going out with a bang like the last one, but the other ones are just randomly mixed in together. So yeah. I don't necessarily think one is worse or one is better than another one. It's just kind of how the list formulated as we type them up. But I'm going to go ahead out and, and start out with number one. Again, this is the 10 most common mistakes that we feel teachers make when it comes to their finances. And if you, if you are a, uh, a mentor teacher or you have beginning teachers in your school, I think this would be a great episode to share with a young teacher so they don't fall into some of the traps that we've fallen into. But let's go ahead and start with number one. And this is something that really, as, as someone who's a teacher who's been hired to be a teacher and they're starting school in August, this is something that you really can't change now. But number one to me is teachers who don't begin with the end in mind when it comes to their student loan situation. Uh, I once read, and I really like the idea of, you know, how much student loan debt should I have? Yes, it's great, coach, that we talk about graduate debt-free. Maybe you can do community college. Maybe you can take AP classes or IB classes in high school and earn college credit. But the reality is a lot of kids don't have those situations. And we have so many first-generation uh, college kids out there. They just don't even know what a student loan is. But the general rule of thumb that I like when it comes to student loans, if you have to have them, which many, many people do, is that you shouldn't take on more student loan debt than what you're going to make in the first year of whatever your career is. So if you know that in North Carolina, I'm a first-year teacher and I'm going to make $38,000, then your goal should be to have $38,000 or less in student loan debt. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense to take on $100,000 in student loan debt if you know that you're only going to make $38,000 in your career. What do you think on that, Brandon? Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And actually, <clears throat> you know, looking back, I didn't really make this mistake. I didn't, I didn't take out more in terms of the uh, amount of money that I could afford to pay back. Where I messed up was I didn't get aggressive about paying those loans back as soon as I could. You know, so what I did was I put off, you know, you can get forbearances, you can do these things and, and pay interest only and, and whatever and, and keep your uh, cost of living down, uh, you know, or your, you can keep your, keep your, uh, 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 your payments down so that you have more money for living expenses and for having fun and doing all the things you like to do in your 20s. If I, I should have got serious right away. So I, I really think there's kind of two here. Number one, you, you don't want to take out more than you can handle. Don't bite off more than you can chew. Number two, don't waste any time paying it back. And, and a lot of teachers let it kind of, you know, I, definitely I did it. They let it linger. They let it loom. And you, you really shouldn't do that. And I, I would like to add one more thing to that. So uh, we, we talked about, uh, or you talked about the beginning you know, teachers, these are mistakes that teachers, man, I think that'll be the title of the show. Really, uh, these are a lot of these mistakes are just middle income earner mistakes. Yeah, this isn't and, specific. We're not trying to pick on teachers. Obviously, we yeah. are both teachers and we've made a lot of these mistakes ourselves. Right. So we're not here to pick on teachers. But, you know, over the course of our 15, 20 year careers that we both had, these are things that we've experienced and things that we've seen. And hopefully this top 10 list will help a, a new teacher out. So be careful. Another thing would be look into student loan forgiveness. We've talked about that on a couple episodes. Yeah. You know, if you have student loan debt, at least investigate and see if you're eligible to maybe get some of that stuff waived by a government program that exists. So be careful with the student loans. You know, obviously I do my little financial coaching business on the side. And I once had a teacher come to me, coach. Um, they didn't qualify for any student loan forgiveness. 
they were a first-year teacher making $38,000 a year in Onslow County, North Carolina, and they had $150,000 of student loan debt. That is and, unbelievable. And they came to me for help, and that was probably the first time as a financial coach I actually felt helpless um, because this person was a single individual, and they also had a $25,000 vehicle that they had just bought brand new. Um, so they had $175,000 of debt on a $38,000 a year income. You know, I don't know what you can do to get out of that, but be careful with the student loans. Um, you know, try to maximize, you know, the, the debt forgiveness and whatnot. So that's number one, beginning with the end in mind when it comes to being a teacher in your student loan situation. Uh, you know, maybe you can't go back and change it now, but maybe you can think about it a little more in detail if you were to go get your master's or your doctorate. How about number two, coach? Not having a plan before the first paycheck hits. And, you know, I know that I did this and, and, and I would go even further with that and say that, you know, not learning from that, the mistake of not having a plan when that first paycheck hits, you know, when the end of the first month comes and you don't have any money left over. Yeah, that should be a red flag. And, you know, we've talked about this. We even talked about this in the Brandon Aikens episode. We talked about, you know, not learning about personal finances and what to do with that first check when we're in school and how it would be, it would have been nice to have gotten a little direction there. But when you get that job, uh, there should be a plan. I know how much my check is going to be, and I, which really kind of leads us nicely to number three, by the way. But I, I know what my, my paycheck is going to be. I need to have a plan. I need to have a budget. I need to have uh, financial goals, all of those things in place before that first check hits. And if I don't, then I at least need to uh, you know, get a plan quickly after that first check. Yeah, I think one of the other dangers of being a young teacher, and obviously this is dependent on the state that you teach in, the district that you teach in, et cetera. But I think a lot of young teachers, you're so overwhelmed, as we've mentioned many times in that HR meeting, you've got a three or four hour meeting, you're getting your picture taken for your ID. They're going through all these booklets. Do you want to sign up for this or that? You don't even know what that stuff is. And uh, you get that first check and now the kids have come back. And we all know how it is as a young teacher. I mean, you get home your first couple of weeks teaching and by 5.30, 6 o'clock at night, you're ready to crash and go to bed. You're so exhausted. Um, they don't even start thinking a lot of young teachers about how am I going to live and how am I going to make it next summer? So I just got my first paycheck in August or September, but I'm not thinking about how am I going to live in June, July, and August for the following summer? So you've got to have some sort of a summer cash plan in place which here in North Carolina, we've got the state employees credit union. Everyone in North Carolina now, if you're a teacher and you're a 10 month employee only gets paid 10 months a year. So you get 10 checks, you get paid once a month. And, you know, a lot of people because of card uh, debt, student loan debt, they take their entire check and there is no gap number for them coach that you often mention. Uh, and then when the summer hits, now they're scrambling uh, you know, their bills are 3000 a month, but they have no income for two months. So what are you going to do for next summer? Make sure you, you know, calculate all the numbers and figure out how much you need to at least have, you know, $1,500, $2,000 for those summer months. This is probably how first year teachers and beyond get into credit card debt. You know, you don't really have a plan. You're spending too much at Christmas. You know, you didn't have a plan for Christmas because it's not just summer, right? It's everything. You know, you've got, you, you know, things are coming. You can, you can sit down and put your annual budget together, your plan, you know, what month certain things are going to come out. It's amazing, coach. Christmas is on December 25th this year. 
you know, every year, <laughs> every year it's coming, you know, it's coming. And, you know, that first year, of course, you want to, you know, it's your first, it might be, might be your first place of your own, you know, in some ways, you know, in, in terms of being an adult, you know, maybe you lived in a college dorm or something like that. You want to, you know, maybe you want to decorate, you spend too much money on that. You know, it's just, there's just so many traps within a year. If you don't have a plan, that's how you get what we call leakage. You start using a credit card to make up the difference. And, and the next thing you know, you know, you've gotten yourself in a lot of trouble. And like you said, you hit that summer and you don't have enough money. And now you're building up even more credit card debt. And I, I don't know how many times I've heard teachers, I know I've said it, man, when is that first paycheck coming? When someone says, when is that first paycheck coming? You know, they didn't have a plan, you know, prob probably, maybe life happened, but probably. It's you know. so funny. You can always, you can always tell who has direct deposit because uh, let's say the first is on a Monday or something. And uh, you know, Thursday night, uh, a couple of days before, if you have direct deposit, it's going to hit at midnight or whatever. So Friday, your last day of the work week, you know, a lot of the teachers are smiling. They're happy. Not only is it Friday, but they just got paid. And in North Carolina, you only get that one check. So it's a, it's a decent sized check, but it's got to last you that whole month. And, and I don't want people out there thinking that this is just a list for, well, I, I might as well shut this podcast off now, right now, because they're only talking about beginning teachers. I know a lot of veteran teachers that don't have a summer cash plan for how they're going to make it. So this isn't just for beginning teachers. We've all got to make sure that we have a plan for our summer. And when it comes to summer, a lot of times we also don't think of, okay, if you're off for two months and I know teachers aren't always off in the summer, there's meetings, there's conferences and whatnot, but you're going to spend more money in the summer than you do during the normal year because you're not locked into a building. You know, I can't go get lunch. I can't go to Chipotle. Uh, our principal won't let us, you know, order pizza and have it delivered for the teachers or things like that, or do DoorDash. You know, you better pack a lunch. Um, but in the summer you might go out to breakfast. You might go out to lunch. You might go to the beach. Then a friend invites you to dinner. These are all things that you probably don't have time for during the regular year. So I think you actually need more money in the summer than what you need during a, a month where you're teaching. Absolutely. Let's so move on to words, number three. Have a budget. Absolutely. That's good. So number three is not understanding your state slash district benefits, uh, which I think is so important. Again, it goes back to that HR meeting. I can't tell you how many teachers that I've worked with. They don't even know that like in North Carolina, we have a hundred counties. Okay. And not all of them, but most counties offer what they call a local county supplement. So these counties, um, the, the board of commissioners for each county uses local tax dollars to try to basically bump up teacher salaries as far as recruitment and retention. In Onslow County, the county that we're in, we have a 10% teacher supplement that our board of commissioners, our local elected officials have, have put in the budget. So if you make $40,000 base as a North Carolina teacher, if you teach in Onslow County, you're actually going to make $44,000. If you were to teach in like Charlotte or Raleigh in, in one of those areas, which is a bigger city, those supplements are upwards to, to 20%. So a teacher making 40 on the North Carolina scale would actually be making like, say, 48,000 in Raleigh or Charlotte. So do you even know the benefits of your county? And that's something that I encourage people all the time in North Carolina of, yes, it's, it's kind of been stagnant with pay raises and whatnot, but maybe be aggressive and start researching. Maybe the, the county right next to your county has a supplement that would pay you $2,000 more and all you have to do is drive an extra 15 minutes to get to work. So these are all things we've got to think about. 
does your county offer a 457? Uh, the county that we're in or that you used to be in that I'm still in, we have the 457, but we don't have the Roth 457 option. And a lot of times we never even know what these benefits are, coach. Yeah. And, you know, as far as number three goes, I, I you know, I'll, I'll do a, a shameless plug for you. You know, you, you do these, um, these, you have a, like a talk that you give and you do these presentations where you explain basically a person's pay, uh, a teacher's paycheck to them. You, you explain the benefits, you explain, and what is it about 90 minutes long? I haven't been yeah, through it's it. It's about yet, 90 minutes long. We do about 45 minutes. Then we take a, a little five minute uh, break and then we do another 45 minutes. Yes, sir. How, how many people sit through that? and come away not having learned anything? Oh, I've, I've, got, uh, I've got a little exit survey because of course we love those as teachers. And I've had, I think over 500 teachers in North Carolina go through that. And I have like on a scale of one to 10, how would you rate the presentation? And I think it's like a 9.8. Um, and I have people, people like, man, I taught something. here 30 years. I didn't know any of this stuff. That's right. You know, and so uh, I, it would be impossible. We're trying to keep this episode uh, short, but it would be, so it would be really impossible to go through and, and talk about all the benefits of knowing exactly uh, what your state and district benefits are. You know, it, it would be impossible. Uh, but, you know, there just, just suffice to say, there's a, there's a tremendous amount to be learned and the benefit of learning those things. There's no telling for you personally what that could do for you. You know, I'm sure that the information, for example, that Dave gives, you know, depending on, uh, you know, your situation, the information is going to hit differently and different parts of the presentation is going to hit differently. And so uh, it, it is incumbent upon us to learn that. And so I would suggest the next time Dave offers you know, an opportunity to sit through that presentation, I would suggest that if you're listening, you know, especially if you're a North Carolina teacher that you would do it, but. Yeah. And I'm going to try, I appreciate that coach. I'm going to try to make this really quick. Cause I'm going to have you move on to number four, but it's almost like, you know, if, if I'm going to take my family to Disney and we're going to drive, I'm going to use the Waze app. I'm going to use GPS. I want to get there as quick as I can. And I want to get rerouted. You know, if there is a traffic jam, if there's an accident, you know, I don't want to just, okay, well, I'm going to drive south from North Carolina and hope I get to Disney. That's what most of us do with our careers, though. Like, why don't we map it out? When you go on vacation, you're mapping it out. Where are we going to stop and get gas? Where are we going to eat? How long is the drive going to take? Are we, need, are we going to need to get a hotel and stay overnight? But we don't do that with our careers. I can't tell you how many teachers I've met that are like, well, I'm in my 25th year, but I really don't know how many more years I have to teach. And I have no idea how much I'll make if I were to get out at year 25 versus year 35 they don't even know that they have social security or if they don't have social security. So know your benefits and reverse engineer your career. That's number three. Uh, number four, what do you have for us coach on the mistakes that teachers often make with their finances? You know, this has been a, a, a consistent theme on the show relying solely on the idea of pension versus filling up investment buckets as you don't, as if you don't have a pension. And I think that this has been a consistent theme you know, several of our guests have said, you know, the pension is icing on the cake. If I get the pension, that's great. Or, or I know that, or maybe they know the pension's coming. They know they're going to teach in, until, you know, uh, 20 years, 30 years. They know they're going to go the distance, but they want the pension to be icing on the cake. They're investing as if they don't have a pension. 
you know, when I first heard, I, I think I, I can't remember who the first guest was that said that, but I, rem, I but I never thought like that. I always, matter of fact, I use the pension as an excuse not to worry about investing. I've got a pension. I'm even investing in social security. I, I thought, you know, Hey, uh, and I was, I'm going to be fine in my retirement. I'll probably get about the same amount of money that I'm getting working in my retirement. And that's good enough. And I, so I didn't have to give it a thought. What a huge mistake that is given all of the buckets that are available to teachers to fill up in order to prepare for their retirement. You may be able to retire at age 50. You may be able to retire even earlier than that. We had one that retired at what, 37? Yeah, Chris, one guess. Crystal she Parker. 37. I mean, she was in a different situation because uh, she was a, more of a high income earner in California. But uh, nevertheless, there are opportunities to retire early. Maybe you don't want to retire early, but it sure is nice to have that option if you want it. And, and the government hasn't always, you know, we're dealing with state governments here. Governments haven't always done their jobs. Uh, I don't have time to do all the research right here, but I just pulled up on my phone because I, I knew it was a big issue recently. Uh, and maybe we have a listener from Kentucky, but in Kentucky, their teacher pension uh, has been in a crisis for the last three or four years. Uh, it says Kentucky has a $43 billion pension hole from making bad investments and things like that. And if I'm not mistaken, I, I could be wrong. I don't know if Kentucky has done it yet, but there's at least been rumors of it, of them completely getting rid of pensions. And, and honestly, I see a lot of red states uh, in the future, if I, if I had to bet in the next 10 to 15 years, a lot of red states in the South, they're going to go uh, go away with these pensions because they cost a lot of money. Um, they're going to raise the age of retirement. They're already doing that in states like in Ohio. Uh, when I was growing up, you had to teach 30 years to get a pension in Ohio. Now they've stretched it to 35. Uh, you used to be able to draw on your pension at 55. Now you've got to wait till 60. Um, similar to the social security crisis that we have looming, of, you know, what, what happens if the funds run out? So yeah, do not rely on government. These pensions can go under. These pensions can be uh, heavily reduced. And a lot of times these pensions coach, they don't keep up with inflation. North Carolina's pension for teachers, although it's a solid pension and it's in good shape for now, um, the cost of living increases that they've given over the last 20 years is, is minimal. Definitely hasn't kept up with inflation. So be very careful with just relying on your pension. And I think that's what a lot of teachers do. I had a friend who just retired uh, after teaching 30 years here in North Carolina. She had one year of sick leave built up. So 31 years, she just got her first retirement check. She was so happy. But her retirement check is $600 less than what she was making as a full-time teacher. So, you know, all she has to go out there and now she has to make at least $600 a month to live the lifestyle she was living before. Now, anything over $600 a month uh, is obviously going to be gravy and she'll be making even more than she was teaching, but she did no planning when it comes to investing in any of these other buckets and, and she really regrets it. Yeah. I, you know, I don't, I don't have a whole lot more to add to that. I, you know, don't rely on the pension. You know, yep. the pension is, I would suggest pension is icing on the cake. The only thing I might add to that is, is if you, if you're in your early forties, mid forties, in the case of one of our guests, early fifties, don't, don't think that it's too late. Would it have been better if you started when you were 22? Absolutely. Would have been better if you started at 18. I mean, you know, the, the earlier, the better, but it, just because no matter what age you are listening, it's not too late to go ahead and start 
investing now. And, you know, that, that would be the only thing I might add to that. I think sometimes we get, we feel defeated once we get older. I was kind of feeling that way in my early forties. And then I started doing the math and I was like, well, I mean, am I, you know, am I going to be able to get a million dollars in my Roth IRA? No, I won't probably won't be able to do that. Most likely, but $300,000 isn't bad, you know, absolutely. You know, so start now. Great. Number four, great. Number four, relying heavily just on your pension. Number five, and this is really simple, you know, a lot of teachers, and this isn't just teachers, it's people in society, you know, we go to school for 12 or 13 years, kindergarten through high school, we then graduate from college, and we feel like we're on top of the world, our professors are telling us how smart we are, and we've been working so hard, and sometimes we haven't really been doing that, and we're not that smart, uh, and then to reward ourselves to, to, to kind of flex a little bit, to let people know that we've made it, we go out and we buy that brand new vehicle, uh, in our first year as a teacher. And I learned a lesson from a mentor teacher of mine who, who honestly taught me a lot of the stuff that I know, Tim Hood, who just retired from Jacksonville High School. He told me as a young teacher, because I approached him, I was like, man, look at this. Look at this awesome pickup truck. It was like a $35,000 truck. I was like, I think I'm going to get it. And he's like, well, okay. You know, how much is your insurance going to go up with this new vehicle? You're driving a 10-year-old vehicle now. Have you thought about the insurance costs? I was like, oh, didn't think of that. He's like, well, what kind of gas mileage does that vehicle get? Well, it's a truck. So it gets like 15 to 17 miles a gallon. That's, that's maybe not so good. Uh, and then he started saying, you know, how much would the monthly payment be? He's like, have you even like looked at Kelly Blue Book online to see what your trade-in value would be on your current vehicle? I was like, well, I didn't even know what Kelly Blue Book was at the time. So he really helped me kind of come up with the process and he said, okay, figure out how much your new truck payment would be after the trade-in. And I figured that out. It was going to be $400 a month. And he said, what I challenge you to do is take the $400 a month of what your new truck payment will be, but save $400 a month for a year. That truck's going to be there next year. They're going to have a new model. It's going to be roughly the same price. Why not save $400 a month for a year and see how your life ends up being different by not having that $400. If somehow you're needing that $400 and you can't make it, well, you can just stop saving $400 a month. But if you bought the truck for $400 a month and you can't make it, you're going to get kicked out and you're going to be on the street and not have a place to live or your, your vehicle is going to get repoed. So he taught me that my first year teaching. Um, and I actually ended up doing that for two or three years. And I built up a, a solid little nest egg. And it was a lot of that deferred gratification that comes up uh, in a lot of the themes of the show. And in the personal finance world with people who are smart with their money, I waited three years and then I did go buy that brand new truck, but I was in a much better position uh, after three years. than if I would have bought it right away, like I wanted to. Yeah, I think this is a big one. I think a lot, a lot of, a lot of people fall into this mistake. Sometimes it's just a status thing. You know, I'm supposed to have, I'm supposed to be able to drive something nicer now. You know, I know other professions really fall into that, that mistake. Well, I'm a, I'm a doctor. I'm supposed to have, you know, something really nice, that kind of thing. As teachers, we can fall into that same, that same trap. You know, when it comes to, I, I love, by the way, love what uh, Mr. Hood taught you there. That's what a great way to look at that, you know, putting $400, let, let's say $400 a month. Let's see how that affects your, you know, your ability to live month to month and your lifestyle and all that. That's a great way to look at that. Uh, you know, the, I, I like what Maurice Atwood on one of, you know, one of our previous guests, I like what he said. He said, I don't spend more than $3,000 on a car. 
And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not saying you have to go to that extreme, but I mean, that that's why he's been able to, you know, save as much money as he's been able to save and live the way that he's able to help the people he's able to help because he doesn't do that. You know, you spending a lot of money on a car is, you know, when you look at a middle income earners budget, it really, it really tightens that budget up. It, it, you know, when you start looking at, you know, a, a, even a $300 car, car payment, but, you know, you know, forbid a $400, $500, $600 car payment, what that limits you from being able to do when it comes to saving, investing, I mean, it pretty much kills it. It pretty much kills your ability to be able to do those things. Yeah, I think a lot of us as teachers, we're, we're and this is, isn't just teachers again, but a lot of us are eating and driving our retirement away. Yep. You know, we're, you know, we're spending, you know, seven, $8 a day at lunch or whatever. And then, you know, we've got the 350 or $400 car payment sitting in the parking lot. And then after five years, when the payment's over, we, we go sign up and do it all over again. And then we wonder, you know, man, this pension isn't enough. Why, why didn't I have enough? Well, maybe it was because we we're driving our retirement. So we know cars only depreciate, they go down in value. And, and, you know, it's just, once you buy that first used vehicle, like I was used to new vehicles in my family. And I kind of had my nose up in the air. Like I need reliability. I don't want to buy used. And you know, they make cars pretty good today. And if you take the basic general care of your vehicle, there's no reason why you shouldn't be able to get 150, 200,000 plus miles on your vehicle. But once I bought that first used vehicle, I, I kind of like, it was like ripping the bandaid off. I was like, gosh, I don't need a new car. Uh, and my wife and I, you know, I've mentioned before, our vehicles are approaching 400,000 miles on them, almost 200,000 miles a piece. Uh, and our, our vehicles are a combined almost 30 years old. You know, we don't really care about cars. Now, would I like to have a brand new, nice, shiny car? Absolutely. But the Dave Ramsey rule of thumb that he says is that you should not buy a brand new car unless you're a net worth millionaire. Um, but I do kind of agree with the money guys. If you're looking at cars, 20% down 36 month loan. Um, and you know, pay it off as quick as you can. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. How about number, what, what, oh, I'm sorry, coach. How about, uh, how about number six? So number five is be careful buying the brand new vehicle. Number six, uh, this is one of yours. Yeah. Not establishing a fully funded emergency fund. The, the, you know, you hear this all the time. It was advice that I received. You need to have a credit card with, with that you only use for emergencies. Well, when I heard that, I said, well, I've got a, a credit card here. I, I can't remember what the limit was, maybe a $5,000 limit or, or something like that when I was younger. And I thought, well, if anything goes wrong, I mean, I've got this credit card to fall back on. And I just kind of, I said, well, you know, that, that, that's my, that is my emergency fund. You know, what a stupid way of thinking about that. And, I, and, and you know, I look back at the way I was thinking at the time. And the reason why I thought that way is because it was convenient. It, it was nice that, you know, you don't see the emergencies coming. You've got the credit card in case it happens. You use it as an excuse not to fully fund your savings account. Those first few years, and you did this, uh, you just talked about how you did this by, you know, putting $400 a month away. Those first few years, you need to be, a, I, th I think that it's a mistake not to aggressively get a fully funded savings account and use that for your emergencies not a, not lean on a credit card. Where I'd like to hear your opinion on like everybody's situation is different. You know, people who get into education, some of them might be in their forties. They might have kids in middle school or high school, or maybe uh, it's, it's a second job, or maybe they're right out of college at 22. 
but let's say for like a young teacher who's 22, 23, they don't have kids, they're not married. In your mind, what do you think would be like a solid emergency fund that would make you feel comfortable? If, if you were their financial coach, what would you want them to have? No less than three months. Um, no less than three months. And, 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 and what I mean by that, I know generally we say no more than you need, you need at least three months of expenses. I'd like to see them have three paychecks saved up. And so, you know, in other words, my, my standard of living doesn't go down at all if I don't have, you know, income coming in for three months. But I like, I like you know, we say three to six so that you can avoid having to finance a car. If you, if you get six months put away and then you continue to put a certain percentage of your income, maybe 5%, well, now your, your vehicle, you know, budget is three months plus whatever the 5% ended up being before you needed a new vehicle. So that when you go pay cash for that next vehicle, you've still got three months. You never dip below three months. And uh, I think that, and not only is, is that what you should be shooting for, I think it's doable. Uh, you may have to go get a second job with the goal being, this is how much money I want to get saved up. But, you know, you may have to do some other things to do that. But I think that when you, especially when you're in your 20s, you've got to aggressively go after that. If you get into education later, you know, so if you're sitting there and you're, you know, and, and I, I don't care what age you are, that, that the goal of having a fully funded savings account has to be at the top of the list. I mean, I've got to get that done because, it, you know, if I don't have that, if anything happens, I'm reaching for a credit card and we all know how bad that can be. So yeah, I think it's dangerous. You're, you're in the danger zone. If you, if you ever dip below that thousand dollars, like thousand dollars minimum should be in your savings. Well, and and obviously, fund, yeah. you know, we, we've had guests from New York where rent is like 2,500 a month. We've had guests in North Carolina, you know, other states and whatnot. We know cost of living is different across the country, especially on the coast. But I would say for the average teacher, you know, $5,000, you know, would be a great goal for an emergency fund starting out, like to build up to, you know, once you get 5,000 saved, you know, you can breathe a little bit. You still want to continue to save and build that up. But I'd be very worried if I had less than a thousand and I'd like to work my way up to 5,000. And like you said, if you're a young teacher, that's just starting out out of college, 22, 23, that might just be sacrificing, you know, the first three years of your career and the tax return that you get. Hey, the first three years, you know, I'm going to maybe take a couple of my supplements for coaching my tax return you know, until I build up that $5,000, I'm not going to use it on vacation. I'm not going to use it on clothes or the bars or whatever. I'm setting this money aside specifically earmarked for my emergency fund. Or maybe I pick up that second job just for six months until I get that emergency fund built up. But absolutely. Um, having that emergency fund is key. And it, it's really weird. Once you get the emergency fund coach, it seems like you don't ever need it. But when you don't have the emergency fund, it seems like emergencies are always happening. Uh, you know, the, the idea that the, you know, whatever, what expect the worst, expect the worst. It always, it always seems like when you're least prepared, that's when the worst happens. Absolutely. Let's move on to number seven. So number six was the mistake that many people make is not having a fully funded emergency fund. Number seven is for younger teachers. Uh, and a lot of us have regrets. Um, a lot of us, we didn't put the pedal to the metal in our twenties. When you look at compound interest and how powerful your dollars are at 20 years old versus 40 years old, it's night and day. 
So when you're young, especially if you're, if you're not in a situation where you have kids or a lot of other responsibilities, pick up those coaching supplements at your school. At our school, we have the ability to be an SAT test administer, administrator, excuse me, uh, once a month, 10 or 12 months out of the year. That, that's an extra $1,500 a year that you could make just from doing the SAT on Saturdays, and it takes up three hours of your day. You know, maybe in your 20s, you go out and, and you go get that side hustle. Maybe you babysit, maybe you coach, maybe you give private lessons. We're valuable as educators. We all have college degrees. We all have some sort of a skill set. I would say to maximize your economic worth in education. Uh, I know a lot of teach, uh, math teachers, the going rate uh, for tutoring is 30 to $50 an hour. You know, maybe you do that for a couple of years to, to take advantage of your 20s and invest. And do not in your 20s, uh, or I, I would say, I'd say 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, we have got to get away from spending money on our classrooms and spending money on our extracurricular activities. I, I talk to coaches all the time. They barely break even because they spend so much money on the sport that they're paying. It's more than the supplement than they and We're going to talk about that one in number eight coming up, coach. So I'm going to, I'm going to let you hold off on that one for a second. Uh, but that is true. Edit but, that out. I forgot that was number eight. I was thinking we were combining those two. <laughs> oh, it's, it's all good. So number seven, uh, I have on here maximizing your economic worth. Um, can I go get a master's degree? If I get a master's degree, am I going to get paid for it? Um, I looked at the situation in North Carolina when I got my master's uh, about 12, 13 years ago. And the master's program that I participated in was going to cost me 10 grand. But I was going to make an extra five grand a year to have my master's. So I looked at it. I was like, okay, I'm in my like fourth or fifth year teaching. I plan on being a 30 year educator. I'll get my master's. And within two years, it will have paid me back. And then everything after that is gravy. I know you've talked about in North Carolina. I know a few other states do it. You have the national board certification. And in North Carolina, you get a 12% salary increase, which is probably four to $650 a month. Um, you're now looking at, at uh, maximizing your economic uh, worth. Are you going to start this uh, national boards? Yeah, I'm actually going to start that uh, probably not this first year at my new school, but probably year two. I'd like to go ahead and, and start that process. You know, it's, it's a difficult process. There's no guarantee that I'll, I'll get it, you know, but I, I'm going to uh, really take a year and, and, and focus on it and see if I can get it because that increase of 12% would be really nice. And, you know, of course, if you don't get it, you've got, you know, it, it does cost some money to pursue that too. So it's, it's somewhat of a risk, but uh, which is why I'm waiting a year because I, I want to make sure that I have the, the funds to not have to go into debt for that, but to be able to pay for it. But, uh, you know, and, and it could, you know, so that's actually more pressure because, you know, if you don't, if you don't get it, then you've essentially wasted that money, but it's, it is an opportunity, even at, at, you know, here I am 43 years old. It's an opportunity to increase my pay. I think the reason why we called number seven pedal to the metal in your twenties is because of the idea of compound interest, make as much money as you can in your twenties. And, you know, we, we shared our budgets recently on a recent episode and I have four categories. I have 50, 30, 20, but then I also have a fourth category, which is extra money. And that's what I consider my bonuses, which you just talked about, my supplements, any money that I make on a, a, on a second job, 
that's the money that I used to invest with now, you know, and I, and I'll probably, I may always do that. I may, you know, that way I can put 20% towards savings and, you know, my extra money will be what fills up my Roth IRA. You know, the other thing that I would say is, uh, you know, developing a, you know, as early as possible, developing a, you know, some, some sort of a side hustle that could be a business that where you can make income on the side. I mean, really good income. You know, we've talked about this before, you know, I've got an, an idea for a business and I'm working on it. I'm working on developing the idea and I've, you know, I've actually got my website being built and it's actually sort of ready to go. It's kind of waiting on me now, but you know uh, you know, but, but it, imagine if you start in your twenties kind of developing a skill set for a business and then you, you start executing that at that point, you know, that that's a good time to do that. And then, you know, as you hit your thirties, forties and fifties, you're able to make quite a bit of extra money on the side and, you know, one of the things that we've talked about is that as a teacher, you do have extra time. It's not like you you punch a clock and you don't get out until five five thirty. You know, if you're not coaching, you know, in my school, uh, the, my my school from last year, you're actually in your car leaving at potentially three o'clock every day, yeah, which leaves a lot of, of daylight that, that do that. And, and this goes back to, um, I know Dave Ramsey has an ex- example of Ben and Arthur. Um, it's a whole compound interest example. I've got one here pulled up. Uh, Jane and Chris. Jane is 25 years old and she maxes out her Roth IRA. How much can you put into a Roth IRA annually, coach? $6,000 unless you're 50. 50, Very good. So she's 25. She maxes out her Roth IRA from 25 to 35. She never puts in another dime into her Roth IRA. So she put in 60 grand over 10 years, 25 to 35. It's 65 based on historical returns she'd have $675,000. Chris doesn't invest at all until he's 35, right when Jane is finishing up. And he starts maxing out his Roth IRA for 30 years, 6,000 a year from 35 to 65. And then he stops at 65 and he ends up with 606,000. So Jane only did it for 10 years. He did it for 30 years and he still never catches up. That's why your army of dollars are so powerful in your twenties and in your thirties. Yeah, absolutely. And and so take advantage of that. The other thing is we have more energy in our twenties, you know, and probably, and and possibly less responsibilities too. And so, you know, I, I, I love what you said about taking advantage of school supplements, you know, take that assistant coaching job. Uh, and even if you don't know as much about the sport, I mean, if they need it and, and you're able to step up and, and contribute in some way, you know, go, go get that supplement, you know, the different smaller supplements that are available. And, uh, you know, I, I think in your twenties, you have to be careful about saying, well, I worked hard for this supplement. I'm going to reward myself by going on a shopping spree or whatever you do, you know, uh, you know, that money can be as best, the best use for that money is of course, this is if you've, you know, paid off all your debt and all of that the best use for that money is this is to put it into investing invest into your investment uh, buckets and and watch yep. it grow and it's hard to put the pedal to the metal in your 20s if you have a hundred thousand dollars in student loan debt and you go buy the brand new twenty five thousand dollar car pretty much impossible you're now putting the pedal to the metal to just try to to put food on your table and turn the lights on yeah. so be careful with that stuff some of these other ones that we've had in the list you know they do connect and they correlate uh, i want you to talk about number eight coach uh, again we're talking about the 10 mistakes that that teachers often make, and it's not just teachers, but people make with their finances. How about number eight? Using uh, Number eight is using credit cards for frivolous items and spending personal 
monies for classroom and extracurricular extracurricular activities. So many coaches, they talk about, I barely break even because I spend more money on my team than I actually make as a supplement. Many teachers talk about, I, I always laugh, you know, when I sit down to do my taxes and they, and, and I'm asked, well, how did you, how much, because you're, we're afforded so much of a, a tax break on money that we spend in our classroom. And I think yeah. it's like $200, it's like 250 bucks or something. Yeah. They say, they, they say, did you spend more than $250? And, I, and, and for a long time, I would just laugh. I'd be like 250. <laughs> you mean, you mean uh, uh, in the first two weeks <laughs> I spent about two, you know, and I'm a high school teacher. I, I can only imagine elementary school teachers. I mean, it must be unreal the money that they spend, the younger generations getting smarter in terms of they, they've got technology at their disposal that we didn't have, but they're getting smarter. A former student of mine who's now teaching elementary school, she put a, a link on Facebook to her to an Amazon wish list and said, hey, I need these items for my classroom. If you'd be willing to donate, I would really appreciate it. I definitely donated something to her. I remember when I was a first year teacher and didn't have anything yet. And so using that technology to do that, but we've got to get away from this thing where you know, will teachers spend money out of their own pockets for, well, yeah, let's not do that. You know, let's, let's, first of all, let's go talk to the principal, one of them, and see if there's funds available for the things that we want. Number two, let's, you know, trip, uh, you, you know, ask, uh, you know, through faith, through social media or whatever, maybe you can get donations for the stuff. Uh, and then the other thing is, is do I really have to have this? Could I get by without it? Because I think that spending your own personal money should be you know, a, la a very, very last resort. We should not be doing that. And then just to speak to the using credit cards for frivolous items. When I say frivolous, this is a mistake I fell into in my early 20s. You know, uh, going bowling every week or, you know, going and having a few drinks every weekend. And you start adding all that stuff up, you know, eating out with friends. And, you, you know, all of a sudden you've run up, you didn't have the income to do that but you, you put it on credit cards and yep. you know, next thing you know, you got a lot of credit card debt. Yeah. David Bach in his book, the automatic millionaire talks a lot about the latte factor. Uh, and again, this is no judgment, but it, it's kind of a reality of, and I don't know the situation. I don't ask fellow teachers when they're walking into the building five minutes late uh, with their $6 Starbucks coffee and their $3 Starbucks muffin. I don't say, Hey, did you pay for that in cash? But there are a lot of teachers I work with that every day on the way to school, they're spending six to $10 on breakfast every morning. You know, over the course of a week, that's 50 or 60 bucks. You're looking at $200 a month. That's a third of your Roth IRA right there, just on a snack that, you know, after an hour and a half, you're already going to be hungry again anyway. So just be careful. And if you put it on plastic, a lot of times we end up spending more money because it just doesn't seem like a real transaction to us. Uh, you know, it's going to come in the mail 30 days later, who cares? So be careful with that. Great one for number uh, number uh, eight. Number nine, uh, I want to talk about this one. We have, be careful of renting for too long or if you do buy, buying too much house. Now, obviously, again, this is all dependent on the real estate market where you're at. Uh, when I first was getting ready to graduate up in Northeast Ohio out of college, um, I had a friend that taught, she was down in West Palm Beach, Florida. And another buddy of mine, like, oh my God, you know, let's go down to West Palm. Let's visit free vacation, free place to stay. Uh, and she was a teacher and she was trying to convince us that we should move to West Palm and be teachers as well. Uh, and then I was reading the newspaper, probably looking at the sports page at, at her kitchen table. And then I saw they had a special insert uh, for low income housing for the teachers of Palm Beach County. 
uh, right near Donald Trump's Mar-a-Lago. Uh, and I realized, I don't think I can afford to be a teacher in Palm Beach. Uh, the rent, and this, we're talking 16 years ago, rent for like a one bedroom apartment was like 1200 bucks. Uh, there was no way I'd ever be able to afford to rent in Palm Beach unless I had multiple roommates or, or buy a house. So I know this is, is obviously dependent on where you live, but I've known some teachers, uh, I'm not going to say names, but I've known some teachers that have been renting for the last 20 years. They can afford to buy. They're not leaving the area. So there's no reason to, for them to be like, well, I don't know if I'm really going to be here. Their family's from here. They're not leaving the area. And let's just say that they're paying $750 a month in rent. Uh, so if they're paying $750 a month in rent, I'm going to throw some numbers at you here. So bear with me. Let me get my calculator. I'm not that smart. So 750 times 12 is $9,000 a year. And if you've been renting for 15 years in a row, paying the 750, that's $135,000 richer. You just made your landlord. So imagine if you would have bought the property 15 years ago versus renting, you'd probably almost have a paid off property depending on what you bought. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the, the, the problem with renting and I, and I get where people are coming from. I've actually felt this way before. Hey, you know, I'm renting because I'm paying for a service. I like to rent because I don't think that, and, and, and this, some of this is true. Uh, I don't make enough to be a, a homeowner. I mean, you do have to get yourself in a position to be a homeowner. That's where some of one through eight comes into play. You know, if I've got maybe a lot of debt, maybe I, maybe I could afford a mortgage. The mortgage might even be cheaper than my rent is. But if anything goes wrong, am I going to be able to afford to take care of that? I mean, there is some cost that's incurred in being a homeowner. That's why you want to put yourself in a position so that you can buy. And, and here are some of the reasons why. Number one, you don't want to carry rent or a mortgage into your retirement because, you know, that's going to make that pension and that nest egg look even smaller because you've got that monthly expense. Whereas if you have a home paid off going into your retirement, man, that puts you in a really good position. But number two, if you're really trying to become, you know, and, and I want to I just say this, I, I hope that our listeners and, that, and people that maybe just catch the show, if you don't think as a teacher, you can become a net worth millionaire, and we're going to get to this in just a second, you can. You can absolutely become a net worth millionaire, an everyday millionaire. One of the ways to get there is to get a home paid off as quickly as possible. And I think that when it comes to your home, we have to kind of change our mind about this. I, we, we love, there's two things that we love in America, I think. We love the curb appeal of a really nice house and we love a really nice car. And one of the things that we talked about with one of the previous uh, mistakes that we make is spending too much money on a car. And, we, you know, of course, there's reasons why we do that and there's more than one. But for whatever the reason, we, we, we get a really nice, shiny, you know, car. And we put ourselves in a lot of trouble. I think we do the same thing with homes. We, we go out and we spend, you know, $250,000 on a home when, man, we could have paid $150,000 for a home. We could have took out a 15-year mortgage. We could have had this home paid off, you know, before we hit 45 even maybe. And then all that money that we were spending towards a mortgage, we can now start putting towards investing and be able to really make strides towards becoming, you know, that, you know, that getting, achieving that net worth millionaire status or, or just becoming really comfortable. So, you know, that, so there's a couple parts of this that renting too long or buying too much house, you know, you, I, I, th I think that it's okay to drive that Toyota Corolla that's 15 years old. 
and it's okay to buy a home that is maybe not, uh, maybe doesn't have quite the curb appeal. Maybe it's a fixer upper that you have to do some work on, but the, you know, get, get being debt free as quick as possible and being able to use that money for investing, you know, it's something to at least consider, you know, I'm not saying that's right for everyone. You know, I, I know that there's different reasons why people do things. And, you know, of course it all boils down to your personal preferences and what you value most. Uh, and, and that's always true, of course, but it's at least something to consider. Yeah. And I think if you are going to rent, rent smart, you know, a lot of these uh, luxury apartment places in town, you know, they've got a movie theater, they've got a gym, they've got a swimming pool and, and they love to suck you in. But realistically, are you going to use that gym? <laughs> um, you know, you're, you're paying $30 a month for golds, but you just moved into a place because you said you're going to use that gym. So you've got a gym there and then you've got a membership that you're paying for, you know, and then you've got this movie theater that looks really cool, but you, know, you just spent 50 bucks going to the movies this weekend and you never use the movie theater at the, at the place. So, you know, can you rent a room? You know, maybe there's teachers in your similar situation and you can do what they call house hacking. And maybe uh, like I did this, my first two years teaching, we had five to seven teachers living in one house. It was a big five bedroom house uh, right near the beach. I think our rent was like $1,700 a month for the house. But when you divide that by five people, I remember writing a check to the guy that handled all the bills. My rent with utilities and everything uh, every month was 300 bucks. That was my portion, I believe, or it might've been 350 or something. So that enabled me to save money. I could have gone to the luxury apartment and paid 900 a month and had all the cool stuff. But at the end of the day, you know, I'm not building any wealth for myself renting anyway. So be smart when it comes to renting. And our last one, number 10, on the, the 10 mistakes that we often see teachers make when it comes to their finances is just simply an attitude. Um, I love the quote that your attitude determines your altitude. And if you have a negative attitude and if you get around the water cooler and you get around um, the teacher's lounge, which neither one of us like, um, and everybody starts talking about how bad our job sucks and how we're not going to get raises and this is terrible. And my friend who has a, a, a degree in accounting is making this much more than I'm making, you know, even though they don't focus on the fact that the, uh, the accountant doesn't have any sort of pension, you know, we've got to stop the, uh, the mindset of woe is me and I'm never going to make it as a teacher. This is really frustrating. And it's one of the reasons why I started this show and why I started my business is to give hope, hope over debt that, that teachers can make it. Yeah. Imagine, imagine we go through one through, we just went through one through nine. Imagine that you didn't take out too much student loan debt or that you paid off the student loans as quickly as possible. Imagine if you had a real plan for your first paycheck before your first paycheck hits an annual plan. Imagine that you really understood all of your benefits and you reverse engineered your career beginning with the end in mind and understanding you know, when I might like to retire, all of those things. Imagine if you invested instead of relying on your pension, even if you start off with just $100 a month, we, we talked about how much money you can make on compound interest when you start filling up buckets or start investing early in your teaching career in your 20s or, or, or whenever you, you, you know, whenever, as, as quickly as possible. Imagine if you never took on that big vehicle payment. Imagine if you aggressively 
you know, funded your emergency fund you, or, or your savings account. Imagine if you really put your pedal to the metal early on and developed a side hustle and began to really put money away that way. And you didn't spend a lot of money on your classroom and, and things like that, but you utilized other avenues for being able to raise money uh, so that you didn't have to use your own money. Imagine if you did not use credit cards for frivolous things. You know, imagine if you uh, bought a home early and you didn't buy too much house. Can you build wealth? Of course you can. And it's this idea that that just prevails within our teaching communities and really all middle income earners. Oh no, you have to have money to make money. You know, oh no, you have to, you're going to have to inherit wealth. You're going to have to win the lottery. You got to have a high income, high income, uh, a high income uh, job or career. Well, no, none of that's true. It's, it's all an illusion. And, and, and we happily accept you know, that illusion is being true. And then we say, woe is me. You absolutely can build wealth. Teachers all across the country, you know, we've, we've looked at most of the states. All across the country, even in the worst states, you can still build wealth as a teacher. You just have to have the mindset that you can. Yeah, and, our, show is, our show is relatively new, Coach. I mean, we haven't even been around a year. We've been around not even half a year. Um, but out of our guests, We've interviewed roughly 17 teachers-ish so far, not including ourselves. And out of our 17, 16, 17 teachers we've interviewed, I was looking here while you were talking, six are millionaires. Yeah. So a third. I'm going to be some more too. And yeah, we'll have some more coming up. But I I'm ran some, some numbers too while you were talking. And this goes back to like the pedal to your metal in your 20s, which was number seven. If hypothetically over the course of a 30 year teaching career, let's say you start at 24 and you teach to 54. If on average you can invest $250 a month, every month from 24 to 54. And then at 54, you stop and you never even put another dime into it. I kind of stretched it out to 62 because that's when you can take social security first, the 250 a month over the course of your career would turn into $600,500. It, that's on a 7% return. And when you figure net worth millionaire, of course, that's very minimal, $250 a month. You could, you, as you get, as you progress in your career, you can definitely invest more than that. Yep. You know, uh, you could probably invest 250 early in your career. And then if you start putting the extras, like the way I do my budget, if you start putting the extras into investing, it becomes way more than $250 a month. But just at that, and you pay off a home early, your net worth is everything added together. You know, if you have a home paid off and you have, you know, 600 and some odd thousand dollars in a nest egg, you're pretty close to net worth millionaire status at that point. And then if you count your pension for those of us that have pensions, you know, that really puts you way over the top. And, and so the, this idea, we've got to bury this idea that we can't build wealth. We can. Now, I do think, Dave, and I think this is something that you provide as a financial coach and, you know, financial coaches everywhere. This is what you do, what you guys do so well. And that is once you've gotten in trouble and it looks like there is no hope, you know, learning how to rewind your lifestyle and get yourself back on the right track. And I, I like what you mentioned earlier in the show. You know, if you've got somebody with over $100,000 in debt and, a, you know, $25,000, $35,000 vehicle, you know, how do you even get them started back? You said you were kind of at a loss on that. 
you know, that there probably is at some point a, a point of no return in some ways. Now, and when I say that, I don't mean to in, instill a lack of hope, but I, what I mean is, is it's going to take a long time. Yeah. The, the further you go in the wrong direction, the longer it's going to take to get back in the right direction. And, um, but, but I would say probably, you know, and there are some out there that are like that, but that doesn't mean you give up. You just have to, it's just, you just have to know. It's you still have long. to have a budget. You don't want to, you know, let that That's leakage right. continue. Yeah. You, you don't want to make it worse. So, I mean, you've got to start heading back towards being solvent again. You know, you have to do that, but I would venture to say most people they're feeling hopeless about their situation. They could sit down with someone like you, or they could just listen to these podcasts and, and so many other podcasts that are, that where personal finance is being talked about. And what they might discover that if they really sit down and look at it, and I do think having a financial coach helps with this, they may not be in as bad a shape as they think they are. Oh, you are so right. I just met with a, a first-time client. Uh, we had what we call a find your freedom meeting. So basically, uh, if a client signs up, I send them a Google Doc that basically is a budget and it has all these different categories. It's pre-made for them. Uh, and I have one specific for teachers, even when it includes pension and all that kind of stuff. So um, we do that first initial meeting. And this individual was so scared to meet with me, they said, because they, they thought they were in such bad shape. Well, come to find out once we had the meeting, I was like, you're, you're, in, really, you're in really good shape. Uh, we're going to come up with your budget, which we evaluated. This person's gap number was $961 a month, but they had no clue where it was going because they're putting everything on their credit and their debit card without like a cash envelope system. So I found $951 or $61 in the budget. And this individual is going to be debt-free by February 1st of 2022. So just awesome. having great. somebody look at their situation, literally they, they were in tears. Like I, I thought I was doing really bad and they're, you know, single parent and all these things. I just met with uh, my first ever coaching client yesterday. It was a lot of fun. Uh, she signed up for what I call a maintenance meeting where, you know, even after you go through coaching, we can have a one-time meeting or whatever. So she signed up for that yesterday. And we started running the numbers. Keep in mind, this individual's in her late 40s. She's a social worker. She makes less than teachers. She makes about 46000 a year. And uh, we started the process around this time last year. I think it was around August 1st is when we started. And she's now, she was $51,000 in debt with one income when we started. She's down to $9,000 in debt. So she went from 51000 in debt to 9000 in debt. And uh, that was all just simply, she had a gap number, but she had no clue where her money was going. We got her on a plan and, and now she's adjusted. She's doing really well. She's opened up her own Roth IRA. She's approaching $2,000 in that. And it just makes you so proud to see people who've, who've changed their family tree. Absolutely. You know, hope is greater than debt. And, and number 10 talks to, speaks to the mindset we can have a we can have a, a mindset of being defeated, or we can have a mindset of hope and set goals, and and we and, and certainly accomplish those goals. And and if we do that, that's so much better. It's so much healthier. I think a lot of our a lot, you know a lot of our mental health problems. Of course, I'm not qualified to really speak on this. Just kind of a personal opinion. I think a lot of our mental health problems uh, go back to you know being strapped with debt or being being in a fun, not not being financially independent being in a financial position where we just can't make moves and we can't do anything and we've strapped ourselves in that is not good for our our mental health and so uh, we kind of have to retrain ourselves you know we've been trained and and it's not all our fault either by the way we've been trained by marketing and 
you know, the marketing campaign to get us to spend more money than we yep. make is, I mean, it's everywhere. It's a machine. Now. It's a machine. It, it is. It's a machine. And we've been trained almost brainwashed to believe that as a middle income earner, I should have this kind of house, this kind of car, take these kinds of vacations. You know, we go on, on, on Facebook and we see, you know, a, 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 we've got a couple of friends, actually, a couple of people that have been on the show, both of which are net worth millionaires. Uh, and they're taking really cool vacations right now. Well, I'm not, you know, I know that I'm not a net worth millionaire. I don't, I can't afford that vacation that they went on. Could I go put it on a credit card? I could probably do something similar if I wanted to put it on a credit yeah. card. And then I, but I'm, that's, you know, we, we, we have to retrain ourselves, you know, delay gratification. And, and, you know, we don't have to have the 250, $300,000 home. We don't have to have the $50,000 vehicle live within our means, make good decisions. And that is better for our mental health because at the end of the day, we're financially independent. Yeah. And I don't think either one of us would say that this process is easy. No, it's, um, you know, being a, being a teacher, especially if you're single or if you're on two teacher salaries, you're probably not going to be going to Hawaii every year. You're not going to be traveling to Europe and going on a cruise, you know, every Christmas break. Like there's, there are certain things as educators or as middle income earners that, that we're not going to be able to do. Uh, and I'm not saying that we should all wait until we're 65, 70 years old when now you can't do those things you want to do. But with proper planning, you can take a trip every couple of years, yep. uh, a big trip, and you can take little trips along the way. But we've just got to be strategic. We have very little margin for error. Somebody who makes $100,000 a year has more margin for error than we do. But if we're smart with what we've got, we can be there in, in the end. And uh, with our teaching career, at least I know in North Carolina, I, I, can, I can be out of this joint at 50 years old. I'm still fairly young at that point. I'll have a pension. Uh, you know, we have the investment property and I'll have that 457 I can tap into if I need to or want to. Uh, and we'll have a great retirement. But I can't wait to interview you. You know, you've got you've got a goal uh, that you're getting ready to hit soon at some point here. And I think you're the perfect example. Because you were only, what, 38 years old? I'm 38, yes. Yeah, th 38 years old. And what you've been able to accomplish already at just the age of 38 completely solidifies the point that you just made. And that is we don't have to wait till we're 65. With proper planning, with smart decisions and all of, the, all of that, and with a little hustle, we're able to, you know, enjoy life much earlier than 65, you know, but, but it does take some sacrifices in the beginning. Absolutely. Coach, it's been a pleasure. I really enjoyed talking about this top 10 list and thank you to all the listeners, of course, for joining us this week on the fit educator podcast. We hope you join us for next week's episode. Don't forget every Sunday morning around six or 7 AM, the show gets released and please consider as school starting back up, sharing this with your colleagues. If you're a teacher, share it with friends, share it with family, uh, share it with the first year teacher. And maybe one of the episodes uh, will hit a need that they have. And if you like the show, please consider subscribing. And we would love for you to leave us a five-star review, whether it's on Apple, Stitcher, uh, Pandora. And don't forget to follow us on our Facebook page. Coach, we've actually had a lot of movement on the Facebook page. Uh, in the last week, we've gained over a uh, hundred new followers on the Facebook page in just the last seven days. So check wow. us out on Facebook. Um, hopefully I will be rolling out my website here soon to help people further 
uh, but we really do appreciate it. It's a, it's a team effort from all of us. And I hope everybody's enjoying the last couple of weeks of summer. And until next time, everybody, we'll see you soon. Take care. Bye-bye.